changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Joining you for another episode where we're going to focus on some clinical pearls. And we just had an episode where we spoke about medial scapular border pain and discussed a bit about repeated motions and its kind of use in that specific clinical scenario, but wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it. So we're going to do that a little bit today. But before we do, Jared Hall, how are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. I uh, am pretty excited to talk about this, actually, this topic in particular, because it wasn't taught to me in PT school, like hardly at all. And uh, it's something that I wish that I would have learned and and understood conceptually and integrated into my practice a lot uh, earlier than I actually did. So uh, I think that this you know, a quick episode has the potential to provide a lot of value to, to people. Yeah. So one of the issues with repeated motions uh, is it, it, it goes against a lot of traditional beliefs of this necessity of specific. And I'm going to come clean. I was a basher of the McKenzie method and the MDT method because it completely went against my worldview of that the only way to help in somebody with spinal conditions was to be getting in there with your fingers and assessing millimeters and and cracking or mobbing stuff. And I'm not saying that stuff can't help and it has its place, but um, if you strip this stuff down, you can do passive loading strategies where you're pushing the load passively into the patient and assessing symptom response, or you can do active loading strategies, which I think we can agree that's probably a little bit on the more self-efficacious side, but not always something the patient can perform. And sometimes they need to maybe a little assistance, but active loading strategies to the spine and assessing symptom response. And this isn't you. The beautiful thing is it's a liberating system because you don't need to, you know, rack your brain about how bad you are with your hands and how you can't feel these freaking millimeters of movement because it is a a journey that will make you want to quit therapy like it has for me. Most of you probably have heard that story of I was ready to say, I just can't do this. I could not convince myself that this millimeter stuff um, was the, the answer for people because it just, it, it made no sense to me whatsoever that a millimeter could create all this different things. I'm not saying movement at a specific area can't be obviously important. There's definitely conditions, ankle sprains, specific movement at the ankle hurt and specific movements and feel better. So I think we can assess the same kind of symptom responses at the spine without getting into the minutia of like, oh my God, is that a millimeter down glide or is this thing gapping or is this thing? So that's a hard thing for some clinicians to let go. And I had some, and thankfully I had Dan Vaughn, who I'll put a shout out to. He's retired now, I believe from Grand Valley State University, but an amazing mentor because he didn't paint us into this corner and put any personal bias that you should or shouldn't do this. He gave us the the opportunity to learn different methods and see what worked and he brought in experts from that did the mckenzie method and other things um which i'm eternally grateful for because he kind of set the example of not being somebody who's this basher of other systems and you do it this way or not and and talking down upon other systems i think professional criticism is something we should be willing to teach our students um, and let science be a guide on that and not just go into um, some sort of confirmation bias bill of, of stuff that doesn't have a lot of science, scientific validity. But anyway, what's been your um, experience with kind of applying repeated motions in the clinic, Jared? Because I think there's some common mistakes folks make with it and, and this 
they want to bail on at the moment pain occurs with a patient and i think there's ways we can think about it when we think about irritability severity and those things as far as how to apply it and how not to just jump ship the moment because you're gonna play with pain responses and symptom responses it's just knowing when to progress when to regress when to kind of move to different directions which can be a little bit challenging but i think um you can you can get some you can get solidness with just some simple understandings of some concepts but what's been your your kind of experience kind of incorporating this into your practice jared so i was just thinking about this and I, what i think that i would like to do is maybe take the next three to five minutes and just walk through exactly how I would do a repeated motions exam, you know, in, in clinic. Maybe I'll go for the cervical spine and maybe you can do the same thing for the lumbar spine, just to give people that perspective. And we, we had already talked about the cervical spine a bit last episode. Um, but first and foremost, you know, when I'm doing a repeated motions exam, that it actually starts in the history. It starts with listening to people and figuring out what their ags and eases are. And figuring out, hey, does it does it seem like you know repeatedly looking up causes their symptoms, or does it seem like repeatedly looking down or being in a sustained position causes their symptoms? And that starts to formulate a hypothesis in my mind that hey, this seems to be positional. But then I'm pretty standardized with how I do it because I want to be consistent and I don't want to miss anything. So I always start first with. Uh, I just have to do a general range of motion screen. So this isn't a repeated motion, it's a single motion. So it's extension and then flexion and then rotation and then side bend and then retraction and then protraction, right? So I go in that sequence each time just because it's the sequence I've developed that I, it feels comfortable for me and I don't have to think about it. Then if they had any you know problem with any of that, then I'll go to, okay, let's do uh, five extensions and five flexions Let's do five uh, retractions, five protractions. Let's do five in-range rotations each way. And then I'm gonna assess symptoms response in between each one, right? Hey, do, do your symptoms come on with the extensions? Do your symptoms come on with the rotations? Do your symptoms come on with the protractions? Um, and then on top of that, I'm looking for uh, kind of the quality of the movement and not to call it good or bad movement, but to look for ways that they might be working around certain loading patterns. So if it's extension, are they looking up and just doing pure extension at the upper cervical spine and avoiding loading the lower cervical spine? Or, you know, with a rotation, are they rotating partially and then kind of going into extension or side bend and they're not actually wanting to do full rotation? They're kind of working around certain levels. We'll call it, you know, protective guarding or bracing or they're, they're like compensatory, you know, deloading strategies for a certain area. So looking for that and then if they don't necessarily have their symptoms come on at that point, right, they have a lower irritability condition. Then I'm going to go for another set of repeated motions, but really have them maximize in range and hang out there just a little bit. And I might even apply a little bit of overpressure, especially into the directions that they seem to maybe have some funky movement with or they're trying to offload certain things. And then if that doesn't do anything, that I'm actually going to have them maybe sustain a position with a little bit of load. And that might be a sustained side, you know, rotation with load. It might be a sustained retraction with load where I'm guiding them with my hand or something like that to see, or I might apply a little bit of axial load to, you know, enhance the, the, the tissue loading that they might experience if they hung out in that position for a long period of time. So that's what my, 
uh, repeated motion exam would look like. It goes from the least aggressive to the most aggressive. It goes from a single motion to more motions, and it goes from unloaded to loaded, and it goes from a small duration in that time, a uh, small time duration in that position to a long time duration in that position. So I'm starting, you know, because I don't know how irritable they're going to be. I don't want to just light them up right off the bat. And when I do notice, you know, something that's going on, I just say, hey, is that your pain that you have going on? And, and then we might decide which direction to go with, hey, do we want to load into that position or do we actually want to load away from that position right now? And if it's highly irritable, I'm probably going to load away from that position with repeated motions the opposite direction. If it's not super irritable, but it does bring on their symptoms, I might actually have them repeatedly load into that position very gradually, keeping their, their pain response uh, pretty low, but giving them confidence to actually poke that bear and actually gradually expose themselves to that position. And, and typically, you know, people don't love to do a lot of home exercises. Uh, and, and a lot of time these things come on from, you know, we'll call it postural strain or like long time position. You know, they're in certain positions for a long period of time. If it's low irritability, uh, you know, I say, hey, man, you set a timer on your phone for once an hour. And when that timer goes off, I want you to take 20 seconds and I want you to do this repeated motion for 20 seconds, right? And so if you do, if you're, if you're working for 10 hours a day, I'm literally asking you for 200 seconds. I'm asking you for barely over three minutes of your day for us to do an experiment and see how this turns out. So that would be my repeated motions exam in like a real, you know, cookie cutter way of how I might uh, use that for uh, exercise prescription or home exercise prescription. And I'd be interested to, to hear how, how you're similar or different, Mark. Uh, you know, pretty similar, maybe some mild differences. But again, this is stuff, if you have a reasoning process and you're assessing response, and that's where I think Jared talks about, you need to have the baseline of where people are at. If you don't know where their symptoms are at, where they hang out, what they're feeling like before you start even moving them, because you need to know symptom response and you don't know what's changing if you don't even know what the baseline is. So I, I get students who just jump in and start moving people. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's see where things are at because there's a couple concepts you need to know. Directional preference is an important concept. That's just like if there's a direction of load that either produces a, a decrease in symptoms with them possibly moving and centralizing towards the spine, but this is not necessary for directional preference. And or there's a significant mechanical improvement where maybe the symptoms are still ouching the same, but they're mechanically, man, it's starting to move a little bit further. So they're showing that as you're starting to load, things are, are moving better mechanically and or symptomatically with or without centralization. Now, centralization being, hey, there's that directional preference where there's a motion strategy that's helping things, but the symptoms are starting to move in a distal to proximal fashion from arm, shoulder blade to centralizing towards the neck. So you're looking for those responses to see if, to guide you if things are heading right. But you're also listening to the history, like Jared said. If this patient is saying everything that looks down just rages this thing into my arm, it's probably a sign that flexion loading isn't going to be, but you got to test it. You don't assume so. But flexion loading might be something you go into saying, hey, that's probably the one that I want to be cautious with. And it might it's kind of like an inversion sprain. There's a period of time where you don't need to be repeatedly loading into inversion. Now, when tissues are ready to reload, you know, you want to get things com comfortable to where they, their, you know, lateral ankle can assess or can accept load and comfortably. Not that we want them, you know, parking a full inversion load on their ankle and weight bearing a ton. But um, yeah, it's just, you have to have a baseline. You have to know those, those concepts of symptom response. 
And then you got to be willing to, to test, to work with some pain. And you, you as a therapist, if you're freaked out and you bail, oh my God, it hurt. I'm going to bail out of it, which I see a lot of students and early folks because it hurts. It must be bad. No, it hurts. They're loading sensitive structures. Understand that your debility of it. That's why you have to know the, the symptom behavior of this patient, the, the eggs eases, the, the irritability. How much does it take to bring it on? The dose of activity to bring it on? How bad that pain is when it comes on? And the dose of rest they have to do or easing factors they have to do to get it to go away. I would say possibly the difference, you know, if I have somebody highly irritable, I don't immediately just load opposite. It might be, uh, but if it's so, I, what that might tell me is, man, I'm not going to probably do well with them in loaded weight bearing. I might need to get them supine and start working retractions there if I'm working at the neck or same thing with the lumbar spine. It's just, they're not going to tolerate weight bearing extension and, you know, the, the person like gets that response and yeah, and they got the irritability. So you're like, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's being able to know when you have a highly irritable patient, you're going to tiptoe into that pain response and see if you can do it in a fashion and a loading intensity that they can start taking on board. But be ready to jump ship if there's, but be willing to test the response as well. It's kind of that balance that you have to have clinically to be willing to explore it instead of just, oh my God, it hurts. Well, why does it hurt? Is it sensitive? Is it truly that that movement is aggravating and, and irritating and, and peripheralizing and worsening condition, or are they just loading up into sensitive structures that if you give them a dose of a loading response, will start showing some of these mechanical changes in a positive light or these symptom responses in a positive light. You got to be willing to tease at that a little bit and play with it clinically. I just see folks who want to get into the click it and stick it and they just jump past repeated motion. Well, I did the clinical practice guideline that said repeated motion. I did a few and it hurt, so I bailed. No, that's not how you do a repeated motion assessment. You got to explore it a little bit. No. You can mob and manip and even needle with that as far as as long, again, as you're, you've got some reasoning process. I think you can modulate pain symptoms along with loading strategies. I think the loading strategies that you employ to a person have a lot more ability for them to start learning control of their symptoms. I, my tendency of bias is to see if I can get them on self-directed loading strategies that start changing their symptoms visit one before I start mobbing and manipping unless i'm just coming up with a barrier or there's a major expectation issue i'm coming to, into i try to just let the patient start seeing that they can change these symptoms themselves but again must know the baseline of what they're starting with before you even think about moving them because that you don't if you don't know where their symptoms are how do you know if they're centralizing or moving like and you're always trying to pay attention to the most distal variable symptoms so if they have it coming in their elbow um, then that's where you're going to park. But if they have a symptom that's like numbness that's been unchanging for eight weeks, it's probably not going to change in the middle of your session. So look for the more variable symptom up the chain to see that one, to see what it's, what's doing uh, with that. And then just start playing with the loading strategies. That's Mackenzie stumbled on this by chance, having somebody lay weird on the table. Um, be willing to be creative with techniques. Jared has been creative. He doesn't follow the exact rules of the Mackenzie system. And at last I checked, Jared, do your patients occasionally get better? I think they do. I think they do get better because it's, you can start, if you start walling yourself into like rigid rules, then you start treating, you know, algorithms instead of people. You need to treat people and be able to be, meld your clinical approach to the unique presentation that's in front of you each day. And it may mean that you break a little bit of the MDT rules. And I, and again, I'm not against, I have been certified in it. I'm not saying you should, I think it's a good approach to learn so you can start playing with symptom response to active loading strategies of the spine. I don't think we need to overcomplicate it um, and go too into the minutia, but you know, you just got to be willing to, to 
create a, a clinical reasoning, a symptom behavior model that allows you to start knowing when you can start playing with symptoms. And Jared's obviously done that with being able to, to know, hey, I need to know where these symptoms are behaving, how irritable are things, so it can chart my course of how I'm gonna approach even asking them to move in the exam, and then definitely how it's gonna chart my approach when I decide how I'm gonna ask them to move in treatment, whether it be actively with them generating it or with me doing any MOBs or MNIPs into it. So um, yeah, I think that's the big thing. Why don't we just stick with the cervical spine, uh, Jerry? Because I think that I don't. This could get long with the the lumbar spine stuff, and uh, we'll talk about the lumbar spine because I think there's some unique stuff with lateral shifts. I mean, they talk about wry necks at the neck and things, and there's there is that type of thing. But um, I think the the lateral shift is one that I think people will get some benefit of. If just kind of how do you navigate that person who's crooked um, and can barely walk and is in excruciating pain? I've just had a guy who. Um, due to COVID and travel issues, I saw him once and put him on a, a just a simple, here's the progression of how you, and he came back in after three weeks away, minimal to no pain. And he was pretty bent over crooked and, and in rough shape, but uh, we gave him a clear um, pathway to start following. And, and we'll talk about that maybe our next episode when we rejoin you guys for the next podcast. Any parting thoughts you have, Jared, after I've just soapboxed it for a bit? No, uh, I did want to reiterate something that you said that I, I think is really important. Um, you know, I made an oversimplification when I was talking about, hey, you know, if maybe, maybe, maybe if you find a direction that lights them up, go the other direction. But that's not necessarily always the case. I, I would say that there's a trend, like say in the lumbar spine, that if uh, flexion lights them up, you might go into extension. Or in the cervical spine, if extension lights them up, you might go into flexion or something like that, right? But that is not always the case. That's why you can't just assume if you figure out what lights them up that the directional preference will be opposite. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency for it to often be opposite, but it does not necessarily mean that it will be, and you should really explore that. Um, so I'm glad that you were purposeful about saying something about that because I didn't want to uh, send the message to people that they would automatically do whatever is opposite of uh, what seems to aggravate somebody's symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, it's nuance. And it's, again, you got to have a clinical process to be able to explore those things. And it's all theory till it works with the person in front of you till it positively changes. And you can think, well, do I load into it then, or do I load away from it? Try it and have a good process to assess response, test, treat, retest, something that we preach and multitude of systems preach because you got to be able to assess if you're making a positive impact. Otherwise, you're just entertaining natural history because you can't prove otherwise because you're not showing any ability of some analytical, hypothetical, deductive process that can give you an understanding of if I'm helping things move in a positive direction or I'm just entertaining it as the symptoms take their natural journey through natural history. So, yeah, develop a process and then start learning to play with this stuff in clinic. And then clinic becomes a lot more fun because then it's like. I'm going to experiment and see what helps this patient, but I'm going to have a process that I know I'm going to test it, and I'm going to have a clear thought process. On visit two, I already know what I'm going to be looking for. What, did it, what happened with that loading strategy? Where are your symptoms? What's changing? What's not? And then you can start adjusting loading approaches uh, accordingly. So hopefully that was helpful for you guys. Um, definitely reach out to Jared and I if you have questions. We're happy to answer any questions you may have. Um, if you're looking for any more personal help of like, man, I, I just, I need someone to oversee me doing this stuff, or I need someone to really coach me through it, then contact us. We're doing some coaching and mentoring of clinicians. We're happy to uh, help. That's We've come to the conclusion that that's the best way we can start really creating the changes within a person's clinical practice. The two-day weekend course is just and not bad, just ain't cutting it. Um, so we're trying to really provide some opportunities and, and do some things that we feel like will really 
meet the mission of modern pain care where we're truly helping move the needle of pain care across the world. So with that said, I will leave you guys till the next episode and you guys all have a good rest of your day. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs changing the story around pain this is the modern pain podcast